everyone. Welcome back to Left Page. I am Frank, your always online historian, academic, and writer. Today, we're going to talk about Clive Barker. Um, is with a really, really fun and cool novella called Mr. Be Gone. And jo joining me in talking about it, uh, we have not one, not two, but three special guests. <laughs> so please welcome co-ghosts of the Horror of Anger, John and Ash, and YouTuber and co-host of A Gap Pod, Labor Kyle. Welcome. Welcome all. Hello. Hi. We're here. <laughs> yes, Hell this yeah, is, we are. This is directly inspired by their collab on Nightbreed on the Horvanger uh, <laughs> feed. So, you know, this is a spiritual sequel. Or yes. or rather, I listened to it and I was like, I want to talk about Clive Barker with you all. So we have. <laughs> I mean, isn't that why... Isn't that why we all started podcasting? Just so we could have an excuse to talk to people that we like. I mean, that's yes. why we st that's why we started Horror Vanguard. Pretty much, yeah. That that and to discuss Clive Barker in depth with every breath that I have left in me. So <laughs> all, both of these things are true, yeah. Yeah. The uh, on the one hand, I started podcasting so I could have interesting conversations about culture with smart people. And on the other hand, I wanted to learn more about the homosexual dark arts um, and thus engage with Clive Barker on a regular basis. No, but the, the, it's funny how unifying Barker can be in these sort of contexts of culture. It's given us so much to talk about already. Yeah. And this is this is the first time I read Clive Barker. And um, I off to an amazing start. I, yeah. Just, yeah. Hell yeah. And for you for you out there in listener land, uh please please burn this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that is our sole command. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We'll uh we'll keep touching base on this point uh throughout the episode. Because if you're if you're still there to uh perceive the episode, you have in fact not yet burnt the episode, and why haven't you done it yet? You're going to regret it. You don't. You want to burn this episode? <laughs> Remember to burn, like, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, the the updated version. <laughs> it's twenty twenty one. Times are changing. Should we Should we talk about uh, as Kyle so eloquently put it the 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 homosexual dark arts um, the 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 magic demons who wish to kill everybody and then then maybe just kiss. Um, sh should we talk about that? <laughs> I feel like there's no way we, we can talk about it. Also, I'm not sure if this will catch Ash blindsided, but uh, <laughs> uh, do you have some type of crazy for Ooh, us, Ash? I can, I can bring one into existence and the time it takes us to continue talking. Brilliant. So that will be... Let's do, let's do, that, let's do that at the end of the episode. Ah, yeah. okay. And then, then through the magic of audio editing, everything will seem seamless. Oh, we could do it that way too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like. So, a who's one. this Clive Barker guy? Yeah, Frank, you you said this was your first time reading Clive Barker. What do you think? Um, I mean, I had I, I expected a lot because while I haven't read Hellbound Heart yet, I. Read a summary at one point. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe this is a bit too intense for me. That was 
when I started the podcast about two years ago. So I was like, yeah, maybe not, you know, probably, probably a bit too much for me. But, you know, time passed, you meet people and you read horror stuff and you talk a lot like people like you uh, who do a lot of horror. And you're like, hmm, you know, maybe maybe I'll, maybe I'm more ready to read Hellbound Heart and more Clive Barker. Uh, so what you're saying is that me, Ash and Kyle have corrupted you. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> we so got we got him. We got another yep. one. I was about one. to say, thank you all. Thank you all for listening. That's just that's what that's all I needed to know. I'm just gonna get out of here now. Uh, <laughs> mission accomplished. So I expected, I expected like intense, gory horror stuff, especially after listening to Nightbreed. But I, I didn't expect it to be so funny, and just so good. Like it's just, yeah, burn this podcast, burn this book. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. I loved it. Genuinely one of my best reads this year. Yeah, it has this uh, um, way about it. The, bu- the book that we're talking about today in particular, but that's a, I think that's a through line throughout Barker's work, is that there's a... Uh, um, there's, a, there's, a there's a sense of playfulness that is working in such a way that's not that's not that's not purely about sort of like you know like an academic exercise or an, a literary exercise in some way shape or form but that's about the way that the perspective from various margins if you will or at various sort of like at, at various sort of confrontations with the way that people sort of or the way that our world is ordered and what type of person people should be or how you know how we perceive one another how our society is organized in various ways and in various sort of stratas of types of living how this is a way this it's it's an important way of communicating and i think that's what's so interesting about the about mr be gone is that it's a first person text that's speaking directly out and to in the in the first person speaking to the reader and sort of then we we we'll get into it but it it incorporates the sort of like like there's a way to sort of like almost literally live within the book or within the text that says a lot of important things about text itself and then above that and this is the brilliance of barker and i think it's similar to the sort of thing we got into on nightbreed is that there's always this sort of like very personal, very gripping narrative that is woven throughout all of this, for lack of a for lack of a better term, psychologizing in a good way. The idea, the sort of to to use Barker's words, the um, grappling with the lead weight of particularity, as he puts it in this book. And how it encounters with this an attempt to find some sort of measure of self that exists at a fine point within the self and how that connects or connects us to this. It's a, unfortunately an audio medium. I have my hands reached up in the air uh, <laughs> it, it, as this sort of continuous. This almost like you can almost say kind of I don't want we don't need to get into the dualism of 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 Barker, but in this sort of like singular sense 
this almost Spinozaists sense. I wouldn't say in contrast to like a more psychoanalytic way of thinking. I think that's actually really important to Barker, as we've all talked about before. But there's this like, there's this sense of like transcendence that exists within the spirit of all of Barker's work. And I think it's most present in a book that plays with perspective and text and like in the way that this one, this one does. What do you think, Ash? So I really, really enjoy this about Mr. Begone. This was one of the things that I, I kept thinking about because we're we're kind of at the tail end of a cultural moment wherein popular villainy was these kind of um, these sympathetic villains, and and there's there's something really good and positive about that, right? Because we live in a society where systemic forces dictate much of our evil, so it extends beyond individualized morality. However, it kind of metastasized into these wishy-washy bad guys who you can't really be mad at, you know. And I think this book just just refreshingly turns that whole paradigm on its head because uh you know our 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 titular demon mr begone is like 100 percent evil and in spite in spite of all that just like i don't know wanton mayhem and murder and degradation he's still like incredibly relatable and you can connect with him and that was so just refreshingly complicated yeah, he goes out of his way to tell you how evil he is, and you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, this is um, this is pretty unambiguously horrifying." And yet, I mean, for reference, there's one scene where he's telling um that he's ha- have his bathing, he's bathing in blood of uh, children he killed. So, you know, and it took about thirty. Yeah, but he's still a very sensitive. What I most most thing that I walked away from is that how kind of a sensitive character yes. he yeah. is. This very like, this very, and that's a, that's where this sort of sense of the perspective of the character sitting at the on top of the surface of the text being very important for why I think it's successful. And it has this like frailty and vulnerability in the way that the in, in in a narration that is grappling with its own existence as narration for you know to say it in a pretentious way but you know basically like the way that the text speaks you know and how the character grapples again like when a, when a character and a text appear to be in conversation with one another like so plainly it has this there's a reason why people, I, I imagine, didn't like, as I think we talked about before recording, how it seems at least a lot of people who read it online didn't like it. And I think it's because, like, not to be condescending, but I think it's honestly because they didn't understand it. And they Absolutely. didn't understand what that meant. They they thought, I think that comes across as corny. And I don't understand. I don't know if some if y'all understand why. But I, don't, I don't know why that comes across as corny, necessarily. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's that kind of thing that, like, Okay, you buy into a story, you buy into this universe, into this world, and Mr. Begone asks you to do that in a very particular way. They're like, yes, you're being addressed to directly as a reader. And if you if you don't accept that, then it can become like annoying. That's like, yeah, no, I don't care. And it's like, no, you need to you need to really connect with the book 
in a very personal way. And I think in that way it can work. Otherwise, you're just going to miss the point, I feel. I mean, I think a lot of people didn't like this because it cuts against the grain of what they expect from fictionality, which is a very modern mm-hmm. construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about how show not tell it as an as no, an no. artistic uh, imperative is just just so limited. Because this is like the idea of like a book aiming to convince you that it is in some way mimetic of a kind of external reality is one thing but i actually think what's so good about this book is that it kind of turns all of that up on its head and goes actually like the the just the form of the book is is perhaps the most impressive kind of technology right it because it contains and presents uh and communicates uh, its own world within its pages i mean Gra- grant morrison talks about this in in relation to comic books as being a three-dimensional image space through which you can move by flipping the pages. But it's like, you don't necessarily need to be convinced that this story is like happening somewhere in approximating the real world, but you have to, what you, what you have to do is kind of accept the injunction of being interpolated in the Altazarian sense as a reader, right? You, you are literally addressed by the text which puts you into the position of having to be the one who decides whether you'll keep reading um and all the people who didn't like it i would be i'd be really surprised if all of them read it to the end uh because the book keeps telling you well if you don't like it just stop you don't have to keep doing this if you're not enjoy if you're not enjoying this just stop put the book down but the thing that bark is so good at is this Lacanian jouissance, right? And there is, like, uh, who is it? Roland Barthes writes about this in this the kind of jouissance of reading. But it's like this is this is a this is a kind of sadomasochistic jouissance of reading, right? You're not you don't you don't like it. You don't like being addressed by this heinous evil character who talks about all of the delightfully violent ways he wants to penetrate your body. Uh, but you're, you're, there is something within you that goes beyond a simple, oh, I read for fun principle, uh, beyond the pleasure <laughs> principle, to, to compel you to keep on going. Yeah, I, I think that we, we live in a time where art is incredibly passive, right? We, we sit and we watch celebrities perform their art, and we're meant to be passive consumers of art as product. And Mr. B gone very directly and very abruptly kind of shatters that space. This is almost like a folk book in a way. It's it's demanding that we as receivers of this art participate in the art structure and creation. You know, you you are very literally tasked with con- either conti- you either continue to read this book or you destroy this book, or you give this book away. And either, if you pick either of the three options that you can pick from, you you do something Mr. B asks of you at some point. And that, I think, is so jarring when you compare that to like the rest of literature, which is so heavily structured around escapism. Yeah, this is like a really, this is like the old way of writing uh, stories, right? You know, the old classic way of writing a horror story is like, this isn't fiction. I found I found this mm-hmm. book. I found this book in the library of an old abandoned mansion in the country and this is 
This is not. This isn't fiction. This is history, and that's how that's how this is presented. This isn't fiction, or it's not. Pre- it's 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 presented as being unfictional, as being a- anti-fictional. Yeah. Even I don't know what 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 everyone else thinks. No, I I think that's right, and I think the, I think it's what I. It's there's a character. The, the, there's in a way a characterization a character representation of the, our struggles within speech and as we were kind of gearing up to record the podcast i mentioned briefly this idea that we we struggle within this very sort of like i, I would say marcusean idea that part of the our sense of struggle is that is is a, is a struggle of epistemology in that we struggle within systems through which we are able to articulate that struggle within those systems and in the same in a similar way as a character being sort of brought into existence through the act of reading and when that character does not just allow this to happen necessarily or they at the very least sort of register their displeasure at this continuing to happen um, and as a result articulate that story or in this case that experience if we're you know using the sort of metaphor Mm. this their their ability to and willingness to articulate that story in such a way becomes complicated that i think is such an important critique of just as ash was saying the way that we just kind of and like, oh man, you guys really alley-ooped each other on that one too. John, you were saying that too. <laughs> Before <laughs> this, uh, it's like you co-host a podcast. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this idea that if we're, if we're seeking to sort of move beyond our casual sense of being, we need to explore the sort of tensions of that sense of being. And that in, in the sort of lived embodiment of that critique, we can find a measure of like if not an answerable question if not p- progress or whatever particular word or noun or whatever you want to use at least some sense of understanding in this like limited exception exceptionalism mm. and it, it, that's done in such a way in the book not just like and that's why i think this was really important because it it, it appears in the sort of very on-the-nose Barker-esque character of the central protagonist, which is like this someone who is both gifted... They're both gifted a sense of monstrosity through masking that occurs, as well as masked from a secondary monstrosity. To have boils burned onto the front of your skin that almost gives you a human-like appearance Mm -hmm. through this sort of like sort of lived you know sort of body-based suffering very theological thing and then to have on the exterior to have the tail or the two tails um has this like it both places you it both like it it places the protagonist within the realm the 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 realm of people as happens both literally and figuratively, I guess, socially as well at, at which, which is what happens as, uh, as they climb up into that realm at the, after the first part of the book. And then it, it gives this like 
sort of like I, I, I don't know there's this balance between representation maybe it's more maybe it's symbolic there's this sort of balance between representation that the 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 symbolic representation and presentation and performance and these sort of trans when you're working with demons it makes the terminology harder <laughs> <laughs> truly a clive barker problem I I mean oh the the most Barker problem ever uh the sort of like when when you're transcending from he- literally from hell into like the place of humans there are these like change happens you know and then when you encounter this uh uh sexy demon in this sort of like gay screw tape letters <laughs> kind of a plot which is everything that I've ever wanted in my entire life uh, it's really redeemed a lot of a lot of shit I had to read as a kid so we beat for me. congrats <laughs> what? Uh, it uh there's there are these like God, I'm like crying. <laughs> I, I love Clive Barker brings out the best in all of us, really. Uh, there's there, there are these like f- there are these there there's not just this. The, it's the magic of Barker. There's not just the sense that like the character is framed within a particular social problem that intervenes directly on the sort of the realm of psychoanalysis which is what's so special about it speech and language the very lacanian thing like john was talking about and it's not just it 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 does the proper lacanian reading and allows the psychoanalytic to transcend and move into a social realm the sort of like frito marxist lens or sphere or whatever which is you know where we all know i'm a fan of that but it works within an additional sort of like realm of exteriority by playing with the text itself and forcing you to participate in the production of a text that has un- has more unwilling participants than people are used to, I think. Yeah, the, the book makes you complicit the whole time with, with reading and mm-hmm. with enjoying it. It's like, yeah, you're, you're enjoying reading these horrible things, or are you? And if you're not, well, you're still reading. Why don't you stop reading? You should stop reading. You should burn this book. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like the pleasure principle has something which lies beyond it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm... There should really be a term for that. Yeah, it feels like there should be a, a book there. But the thing, the thing that I really like about that, Frank, is like it raises the question of the ethical status of the con- social construction of the text. Reading and writing, in fact, language is a social practice and is mediated via social being so it isn't just it isn't just the kind of personal thing of like oh you personally like reading about a a a horny demon who murders children so he can literally bathe in their blood in with also the great slapstick bit of there was a hole in the bag so there's this trail of like (laughs) yes it's it's like an aristocrats joke isn't it i was literally about to say that there's this trail of, of of dying children that leads to your hideout not only is that an individual thing that you kind of like that, that you're into that, but societally, socially, uh, all of that which is repressed and is seen to be non-normative, and this is a very classically Barker thing, all of that is integral to the unity of the social field of a particular historical moment. 
everything that is disavowed, that is seen as completely beyond the pale. Uh, right, it's not a coincidence, right, that our demon arrives from the ninth circle. Uh, in Dante's Inferno, the ninth circle was for treachery, right? The right. highest, the, the worst kind of thing. So everything, Barker points out, like, the complicity runs all the way top to bottom. And yet, we still press on reading because there is something kind of ethically troubling about reading. It turns you into a voyeur, right? It's there's the, There is this kind of kink edge to it. Of like, well, you don't like it, but you're still doing it. You're, you're, and you, you, you turn the page again because you think there might be something new. And it's like, that is not an individual complicity. That's like, that's a societal structure. It's yeah. a critique of ideology. Yeah. Right? Yeah, if we're going to be Lacanian about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's both the character and the book do that in this individual and social level. When the when accusing you a lot of the time, and they all create this effect on you, like there's pleading, increased pleading, there's bribing, there's threatening, there's negotiating. It's like the the, the multiple responses provoked, and the the reactions like they varied a lot. Even from a, a, my personal reading, is like. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. Oh, I, I don't, I don't think, but, but I want to know. And so you carry yeah. on, and it's like, oh, okay, this doesn't matter. I'll carry on. So there's very much a, even with like just the the accusation, there is so much playing with, uh, with these expectations with the reader and with societal notions as well. In the sense that like, well, you know, you 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 call yourself a human and you're you're fine, but like. Then again, this is my experience with humans, you know, and you're, you're fine with that. That's that okay? Mm -hmm. To take us back to the sack full of babies, uh, really <laughs> please quickly, do, Ash. I feel like this. I feel like this weaves together so many threads because exactly. I, I feel like that scene for me, that sequence was to, to use, I guess, filmic terms, since that's what I'm used to. Like that part of this novella was was one of the best for me. Um, that and the the whole ending, several chapters. But um, so so the dead babies thing, I think it it, it reveals rather so much about the public reception of Mister Begone, because if you're not keying in as to what's really going on under under the covers in that scene. You're, you're going to see this aristocrats joke and then your reaction to it is going to be based on how you personally find an aristocrats joke you know like like i i thought that that was like the most hilarious punchline ever when mr b's partners is like oh you knucklehead there's a trail of babies leading to our hideout <laughs> like that was just the it's just so silly but like just under the cover of that it's what's the most what, what's the most demoniacal monstrous anti-family thing oh it's it's two men sharing a domestic environment and like bathing together like that's that's right under the cover of that scene and i think that that so much of the popular reading of mr b gone is kind of split over that dichotomy i mean in the external society going going against two men living together what what are the odds yeah, all right. It's like this. E even even within the, it 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 uses it's and and that's what I think is very sort of classic 
about its it has a very like capital m modernist sensibility in its use of horror as it's very like dare i say a man if we're calling it lacanian dare i say it's very structuralist oh yeah in, yeah, yeah in the oh, sort of like inner outer scaffolding that it like it, it it allows it allows for these these like it, it it's an it's an exploration of these yes and, and that's what i mean that's what's so good about it it's the creation of characters that i like i absolutely li- i like and i find interesting and i find dynamic just by virtue of not the fact besides the fact that they're literal demons that they're very imperfect and that there's these sort of disconnections that there's this sort of like post-humanist angst like (laughs) that like even even in the beyond the idea of our limitations of how the functions of the social world and the productions of those social world and how it creates people and subjects within that social world we're still just like you know, talking about our hot demon friend who, like, introduces himself and he's like, everyone calls me sir, which I literally wrote OMFG <laughs> next to that. Oh. I'm like, oh my fucking god, that is... That and, is he, and, and he immediately good. responds with, I'll make sure to remember that. Oh, I, man. I, sir. I, I was sweating. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so good. I mean, don't they first meet and, and then he basically undresses? Yeah. In the most in, body horror in a heroic, way possible. In a heroic act to protect and save. And yeah, yeah it was yeah, that was good. That's that's a good part of the book. <laughs> that was that was just incredible. Like when I read that I was like, This is this is the Clive Barker I came here for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole that whole sequence is just and like like uh, when Mister Begone attempts to handle the sword, yeah, and it's it's just it's just too damn big and powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was I was just like, oh my god, Clive! Like, you, I, every every single every single straight reviewer that read this was like, I don't, I don't know, the demon can't wield a sword. That's just confusing. And everybody Why can't else he, is just. You- it's mm. too big. Well, get a smaller sword. <laughs> oh my god! That, that was just. Oh, I was. I, I. It was at that point where I was like, "Okay, this book is just incredible." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what next? So sh- shall we talk about writing and books and storytelling, which is just. Oh. I mean, you you mentioned it before. Like this is Clive Barker's theory and analysis of writing uh yeah i mean the status of fictionality right the 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 idea like the novel or like what we take to be kind of realistic writing now is is not really all that new or rather it's not really all that old it's very it's relatively new and it's a a kind of very hegemonic style there's some actually really interesting history in the mid-20th century of like the the how how the 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 kind of cultural development of non so non social or Soviet realism was designed as a tool of anti communist ideology. Uh, but before we get dragged too far off topic, 
this is like this is like this is like a a, a six a seventeenth century like religious tract. Yeah. You know, where where <laughs> yes. it's got like strange character names, uh, it's kind of allegorical, but it's also true. It's also like this idea of like language is uh, not just co- constitutive, but communicative of a kind of ontology is super interesting. Uh, I mean, language in this is basically kind of viral, right? La- language is, is this kind of ultimate it the the kind of big secret is over the printing press and like what what kind of communication is actually possible ergo what kind of people will actually be communicating so it has some really interesting takes on what language is uh and how it works yeah it's kind of like early modern pulp fiction in that way like it has this like it, i feel like this could be and that's why, like, the form, like, man, that's, that, that's, God, that's a problem. If, I don't know if the project exists on form in Clive Barker, but whoever needs to do that project, John and Ash, maybe <laughs> form in Clive Barker, because that's like a challenge waiting for somebody. But it's so like, the f- form is there. And in the sense that, like, I disappear into this, the way that he's written this to where this could be like, one of like literally 250 different versions of this type of a book that was written between in a period of like five years by four different authors that all have this like and i love that kind of fiction that's embodied in my in in my view when i think about that is embodied in sword and sandal epic film which is something i've always been very interested in as this sort of like mimetic form study how the like also incredibly ho- also some of the most homoerotic stuff i've ever seen in my entire life and purposefully so in many ways and a lot of it written by communists <laughs> funny <laughs> stuff but <laughs> there we go the themes are gay communists or the the theme is you know re- manifesting itself but anyways the uh it has this like it's so good and the reason why it's so good is because it's pl- it, it it's it's adhe- it's not adherence but it's sort of like uh it's confidence in form uh, makes me think that it could be like exactly exactly as you were saying john this like like a religious like it evident of some sort of like christian cautionary tale or like even uh, to use it in a more contemporary capitalist uh context choose your own adventure books yeah. It has the same tone of the book is always talking. I remember I read a shit ton of those things because you could get them at yard sales real cheap. And so, and my sister and I read like crazy. So we'd have to get used books or in library. We used the library a lot, but I read those like so much. And the book was constantly talking to you in this really like you just picked up the the book of the dead mm-hmm. and turn to page 15 if you want to read it aloud and then you kind of this like participate this sort of like play and participation that exists within that like it also is part of it like i i should have said this up front i don't get to read a lot of fiction i read fig whenever i read fiction is to come on left page yay uh, <laughs> honestly very same yeah <laughs> see like this is this is this is what happens when we get to do what we do but at the same time uh it uh 
part i think that's part of, i don't think i don't think i'm misreading it i but i think it ha, it did in a very great way make me more sensitive to the way that it's playing with form because i was like i was looking for something that was fun and like sure enough it was so easy to read like i read part of it while we were traveling for a jewish holiday and i read another part of it just sitting around because i would pick it up and be like oh yeah let's read another section it just has a I don't know. I think there's more to that than just it's a good book, you know. And I, I, I think you're completely right. Form is so bound up in this, and it's because this is a form which um, I, I, I really do think it's bound up in this idea of, like, addressing the reader and actually shattering the passivity of a kind of just presenting a story, you know? Where you go, oh, it's so immersive, you know, I can just pick it up and I slip into this other world, and it's like, no. No, you chose, like it. It very deliberate. Uh, this is what. This is why I made that comparison to like old religious tracts because they're all about, you know, this. This. This is like a. It's like a gay Jonathan Edwards sermon. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> uh, oh dear. S- sin is in the hands of a horny god. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's like. The form which instead of like allowing the reader to be sort of like the passive uh, recipient of of a narrative that is not addressed directly to them, but they are allowed to kind of voyeuristically engage with and get that Lacanian jouissance, that that pleasure of the text from in a very sort of passive way is completely rejected here. And Barker is like, you know, if you want this, you know, if you want the narrative, you want... I mean, he he fucking literally calls it the secret. Like you know, mm-hmm. you know there there is no there is no kind of plot device here. There is no sort of like literary language. It's like no, I've got a secret that you want. Uh, it's like you have to you have to choose. And this is like this this goes all the way back to like Hellbound Heart and Hellraiser, right? You know the the lament configuration is presented to you, and even though if you have exhausted the pleasures of sitting there passively passively observing narrative uh this is a book that kind of invites you to kind of to to literally open the configuration to reveal the secret no matter what it might cost you yeah here here ends my sermon <laughs> beautiful i'm moved oh entirely and like i really like Kyle's comparison to like fighting fantasy books because like this yes. this book is very much a sort of play and, like, a lot of the reviews were like, oh, I was annoying by, you know, the demon talking to you, the interruptions to the story. And, like, you're not playing. You're, you're not, like, this is, this is not just a, a, oh, you hear, no, you're, you're engaging with that story very actively. You're deciding to continue on reading, uh, come hell or high water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can ignore the consequences or, and push on or not. And it doesn't... It, like it doesn't matter that like oh that it's a demon that it came from night circle no like the way that the form is and how Mister B talks to you it's you can it, it's difficult to dissociate like that's mm-hmm. that's my thing about horror movies and I mean reading is easier a lot of the time but watching is very difficult and yeah. like the one horror movie I've watched which is Alien uh, was distant enough that I could dissociate. But this one, this one was difficult because you're 
you're there, you're reading, you're engaging with it, and you're like, um, okay. <laughs> so, um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll carry on reading then. Uh, <laughs> breaking a sweat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what I think, what I think you're really nailing here is this like something that's you know what's been really good for like things like capitalism for example is obscuring the interactions and relations in human objects like the human object interaction and relation the human object relation in general is always this like it's these threads of social encoding that lead to obscurances in the human in subject uh, interactions and subject relations and it's this uh, one way to push back. There's there's one way. I was thinking about a lot about uh, the artist Sophie today, who it was Sophie's – it would have been Sophie's birthday. And so I was listening to uh, the most recent record <clears throat> before Sophie passed, and I was thinking about this sort of like thing theory of that record, um, this idea of – for those who aren't familiar, there's a song that talks about immateriality that talks says immaterial boys, immaterial girls, and has this basically at one point like that that talks about a body that can exist in a sort of immaterial sense that is sort of beyond the actual human object interactions and relations that we live in. It's I would say a form of idealism. In a good way, in in like a capital I sense, not in like a you know, it wants to do cool stuff. That's what people think idealism means. But like no, it's like a philosophically <laughs> idealistic sort of sense of the world and a, a, an attempt to get at the sort of ontology of human object interaction. Uh, because, and I think that's a good thing ultimately. Because while I may come closer, I, I may be a little more rigid when it comes to sort of like my solution for these problems in that, you know, like, you know, maybe we get a party and we run that party uh, for, you know, maybe we have a working class party, but like at the same time, I still want to, I still want to explore transcendence as much as I can because specifically the devaluation of every sort of, Every node in the system of human object, subject, object, and subject, subject relations throughout contemporary capitalism, just because I think it functions so, it functions, it functions as such a strange network of relations and power. I think that really is true in a lot of ways. That the more that we attempt to obscure, to sort of lean into the skid of obscuring human object interactions and relationships through this like various layers of horrible reification and this sort of like, you know, sense cultural sense of being in the world and contemporary like decentralized network capitalism that like the, an attempt to move beyond the social encodings of the like most aggressive presence of our experiences or, or in our sense of being, I guess not uh, is something that's really useful. And I think this is like, I mean, now people are going to say that I'm crazy that this fucking book is doing that. But, you know, I think that's what, like, <laughs> like that, like the book, like when we change our perspective with our interaction with the book as an object, we rethink the human object interaction relation and we, we sort of rematerialize the material of the, like, 
you know you know it's it's the, the it's a, it's a gothic materialism and you know there are there is subject matter and we should explore s- subject matter like selves aren't as material immaterial as this sort of like larger sense of subject object relations and we have to figure out our way in them and we should read weird fiction to do that just read the book i guess i guess that's the solution to all of it or burn it hell yeah or yeah or or burn it or break it's burn the book really burn the podcast burn the podcast (laughs) isn't this exact isn't this kind of highlighted highlight exactly what you were saying when you realized like the book explicitly tells you that mr begone is in its pages like and what what is he you know what is his subjectivity if not made up of language so, lit, literal signs little uh, literal objects even yes. you know he he is this linguistic construction that is is socially decoded and then distributed so it's it you know it's it the book itself pre- precisely underscores what you're talking about Kyle so w- one of the things that like i'm picking up on like several dozen different threads um in the last like a conversation that has spanned uh, a mere 40 minutes but feels like it has an eternity's worth of value subscribe to left page <laughs> <laughs> but um not to float whatever credential this counts as but like i wrote my master's thesis on like choose your own adventure books and mm. video gaming and their relationship to gothic novels from the 1700s and like uh and just sh- shout out to steve, steve jackson's uh creature of havoc perfect choose your own adventure book uh very reminiscent of mr Begone. i highly recommend it but um one of, one of the things that's really interesting is we're talking about like the subject the subjectivity of mr Begone and mr Begone even as a literal object in the fact that in order to read this book you literally have to hold him in your hands for the entire time mm-hmm. but mr Begone isn't really a novella at least it can't be summed down as easily to to the status of a novella or a short novel like a, a harry potter book for example could be because this is a game it's a choose-your-own-adventure game. You know, it's 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 linear. You only ever have one choice, and that's either burn or continue. But the novel is, and its contents and its plot and how that's related back to you, the reader, is directly shaped by your participation. You know, the the four of us saw the game through to the end. You know, we we became the thing that the game needed us to be by the end of the book. But it's entirely possible that someone got to the first request to burn this book and just tossed it on the fire. Mm-hmm. You know, and for them, their relationship to the material, like the Gothic materialism of this text is is going to be shaped by that. And what what I think this means on, on another level entirely when we're getting to Mr. Begon's subjectivity is that our subjectivity, the more we read this book, is woven in with Mr. Begon. The more we play his game, the more we become the reason why the events of this book exist the more the line between Mr. Begone and you, the reader, begins to dissolve as the two of you start to merge until you're ultimately won by the end of the book. Uh, I, I I love the slowly escalating uh, t- take meme of, like, uh, Mr. Begone is a novella, one level. Next level down is, like, Mr. Begone <laughs> is weird fiction. 
next one down is Mr. Begone is a 17th century religious tract. And the next one, <laughs> and the, the, the next like galaxy brain meme is uh, Mr. Begone is a video game. <laughs> it's uh, a gothic materialist video game. And just for the record, all of those takes are correct. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. The four of us are so good at this. <laughs> we we're all game. collectively right now trying to wield a sword that's like five times it's the sword from the castle of otranto it's like bigger than a house uh, <laughs> clive bucker's sword is too big for one person to handle i mean i mean that is probably true yeah yeah <laughs> oh dear yeah i choose to believe that that's true uh that that was that i i really like that take i really like the, the comparing it to a game and i actually think the point about the slow collapse the distinction between the reader and the antagonist uh is actually super important because yeah. really well actually we, really we are the antagonist right he yeah. keeps going like okay because mm-hmm. you want it i'll tell you because you're the one who's here i will i will tell you more of my history did and any of y'all ever play that game Braid? It was super big some years ago. Yes. So, like, if you haven't played Braid, it's essentially a high art remake of Super Mario, but they add an element of time manipulation into the game. You can you can fast forward and rewind time and spots to to solve puzzles and complete the levels. But uh, spoiler alert for a really old game, so whatever but like it turns out that you're the bad guy by the end of it it turns out you're not trying to save the princess but you're the villain who's been trying to catch the princess the entire time it's a it's a clever inversion on the plot and i absolutely love it reminds me so much of mr begone because you're you're so right john by the end of this you know like it's only it's only at the end when mr b starts like violently threatening you the reader to just do this one simple effortless act he's been demanding the entire time it's like only by the end has he been moved to that point to secure his and that's what he's going after is his own freedom right like you know before that like there's you know like if you burn initially right off the bat there's like no intimation of violence we don't know what mr b will do maybe he'll just keep trying to find like 10 demon boyfriends (laughs) i mean he deserves them I, i was just about to say if that's not like that's like the best ending if the if we're you know <laughs> that's the that's the best ending that's the yeah you gotta do you gotta do a bunch of you gotta do a bunch of side content for that i i think that i think comparison to the jonathan david blow game the braid is is really really interesting and also has this sense of like you know the the the, the narrative as the narrator and the sort of like again sort of almost objectifying of something that we have a tendency to place a lot of sort of human agency on which is text um Mm -hmm. we still have this sort of like worship at the author uh well at the altar we uh man the line is so good and i messed it up worship at the altar of authorial intent oh yeah in a way that's definitely not fucking healthy um but that's that's like fine i like listening to authors talk about the books they wrote but like you know i like talking about the book that they wrote too but this like there's there's this sense in an ex in the exploration 
of those tensions in narrative author narration reader exists those like called i talk i've talked about this in plenty in other places and i think i talked about it in maybe the nightbreed episode but there's this like sort of like there are these series of infantilizing discourses in popular culture that really bother me it's like oh, it's yeah. like a magic eye that you could once you finally see it you just start seeing it everywhere and it's just like oh so everyone thinks i'm a baby like a little baby who can't handle anything complex who can't handle anything sort of mystifying new of a different uh ip or platform or medium or anything like that no i'm a little baby who needs to sit in a high chair and get spoon fed essentially something that's not something that's nice to me the literature what what i like about horror in general but what i like about clive barker and i think that's what braid did too is that like i did not feel coddled or infantilized by any of that mm-hmm. not just because braid's also a difficult game uh that's it's puzzles that uses time like the forward and rewinding of time and it is it's exactly it's like already it already reversed super mario brothers and but it has this like it's destabilizing and i think that's just i think that's what i mean it's destabilizing and i think that's important in like it's like there is a universe i feel like it's like with, with clive barker there is always we are always existing in a it just several steps ahead of the universe where he's the biggest fucking thing on the planet, and he everyone's read this shit, and like he's the, he's Stephen King, and like God, I don't like thinking about that world because it makes me sad. <laughs> because <laughs> it's just no one is he's always he's always too much on the cutting edge. Like I think we said it in the Nightbreed episode is that capitalism is bad for like if you want to be against capitalism, like look at what it like basically has done to Clive Barker, given us mm-hmm. some but not is that not the most cruel thing? Mm-hmm. Like giving us some but like really reading this and being like this could be the biggest thing ever because it's so relatable it's so weird but it's so human it's so gay but it's so like 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 there's a reason why some of it got popular and some of it didn't isn't it's because like the dumbass critics and the dumbass producers and like all the people all the people who were sort of platforming art we're only gonna give us enough to. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, he, he deserves to be the biggest thing in the world. I just think it's great. So this might be the saddest thing I've ever said on a podcast. Oh no! But Clive Barker is my pick for the horror artist of our contemporary age that isn't going to get what he deserves in terms of recognition and popularity and interpretation until like 30 40 years after he's gone yeah you know it's going to be like 2050 when we're actually in the time where clive barker is getting the the popular celebration that clive barker should have been getting for decades now i mean i i i kind of i kind of hope you're wrong i, th- I think oh me too yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think you're probably right but i i really do hope you're wrong but like Credit to Stephen King for being the one when uh, the first books of Blood came out to go. I've seen the future of horror, and his name is Clive Barker, and mm-hmm. he's and it's so much of horror is still 
still playing yeah. catch up. Yeah. All of it. And like wh- what we're doing right now here on this show is hopefully making me wrong. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's well, I mean, that's isn't that really isn't that really it right there? So why like, do you do it? It's not it there's there's there is is it, it at the, it's at the very least saying like I'm not trying I'm not trying to value my politics based off of like consumption in any way shape or form no one you know get get at get at that but this is like doing readings doing good readings close readings of things that seem important and interesting are good it's so basic but it's easy to forget because there's a there are these things in our pockets called our cell phones that have these apps <laughs> called TikTok on them that'll just show you cute puppies for like five straight hours if you just sit in front of the phone. And it's like, man, I like puppies, but that's not good, right? <laughs> so we this 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 isn't a good thing. Uh, or there's this place that I've 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 grown to know called Twitter that um. I'm grateful to have met all of you know uh, all the people I'm currently talking to on Twitter, but at the same time, it's 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 important to like Clive uh, Clive Barker can make such complex ideas into like like gay gay scary Star Wars, but like talking <laughs> about psychoanalysis, but like having a critique of the like medicalization, the the like the medical industries like like destruction of psychoanalytic thought as a like complex social phenomenon and something that should like be integrated into this. Like, you know, not to get, not to get too on the nose with it, but like, you know, I love, I, I love the idea of that, the, the sort of reflection and self-examination coming with a social, a uh, social program, say with like healthcare and comprehensive healthcare or whatever, but like, and also talking about the gay demons we can talk about text, like, like, and also like, look how sexy all the demons are. This is this is how we win. This is what like we got to do stuff like this. We got to make yeah. stuff that's cool, stuff that's eye catching, stuff that's weird, and like, it's stuff just that's I gay know. demons. Yeah, gay demons is the building of radical exteriority. It's so central. It's so so central to my like political worldview at this point because we're so captured in such dire political circumstances and literally all of our respective countries <laughs> which three are represented here <laughs> and it's shit everywhere. Like it's it, so we have to capture some level of imagination, but we also like I think sort of in this is sort of in the sense that I think Fisher was getting at before he passed is that there's a well we really we need to be sort of like building into institutions in a way that's both it enforces our political project while also posing a, it's more of a a critique like me like but we need to play offense and defense when it comes to politics everyone in politics and who thinks about politics knows this it's hard being on the left because we're always on defense, but there's something about like int- the production of interesting culture that completely cuts against all of that bullshit that allows us to speak more clearly to our contemporary moments. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, and I completely agree with that in terms of culture as well. It's like, yeah, no, we we need to write shit and we need to read shit and we need to talk about shit <laughs> because 
I mean, I, I, I've been saying this a lot lately, but like we, I mean, we're here because, or I'm here and I, I made a podcast on a sense because of this, but like, you know, some people don't have the time or won't know or don't want to read stuff, but like, you know, it's, this stuff is, ev it's theirs too. So it's like, here, take it, have it, listen to it or burn it. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a part of that, that we engaging with these things and going after them and reading and, you know, like, yeah, it's uh, gay demons and that they're showing us what love is and <laughs> <laughs> what writing is and what history is and what people are. And it's like, <laughs> and telling stories. And it's, uh, it's a fun little book. It's like, here, have this book, Gay Demons. It's yours. Read it or don't, yeah. but listen to it. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a sort of mission statement, kind of. Like, yeah, no, this is, this is a type of cultural offense in a poetic way that um, offering this and giving this and creating this. And it's, and sure, it's about <laughs> bringing great friends together to talk about gay demons. Yes, I, I, it's hard to deny that. But it's also beyond that, too. It's about having a, a good time and about creating something interesting in terms of talking about something amazing. And Mr. Begone's amazing. It's genuinely it's like... <laughs> I mean, I, I wrote down some quotes and I'm like, holy fuck, this is sort of knockout shit. It's like you read and like, oh... Well, the text here is like a paragraph. Something that's like, oh, it's just this. It isn't, but it's almost like um, a, a, an offhand comment that is like that's saying and doing so much. And ugh, no, this this book is amazing. And oh, I mean, the best people talk about it. Hell yeah. Well, we've been we've been we've been going for just about an hour now, I think, Frank. So, do you want to do you want to wrap it there? I I did happen to write that Pracy in the intervening moments between the start of the show and now. <laughs> and uh, I think that's good. Uh, I I don't want Ash. She says you weren't feeling well. Oh yeah, exactly. I I, I make sure th this is this is the source of energy. This is my. Uh, <laughs> I, I oh man, I couldn't even think of a reference from Mr. B gone. I don't know. This this is my this t talking about this book has been my like big gay demon baby's sort of blood. strength. Yeah, it's been my baby's blood bath I needed. I went to Lush and I got a sack <laughs> full of children. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I can read that Pracy now if you want, Frank. No, then, I don't know. You can either leave it here or, or edit it back to the beginning. Whatever makes you happy. Well, I'll, I'll figure something out in editing and tell you all. But please, by all means. Sweet. <clears throat> what does it mean that a love could be so forbidden that it, in and of itself, is erased from memory and bound to esoteric circles? A love forced into such darkness that the only way to see it is to carry your own share of that darkness. Clive Barker's Mr. Begone is the story of a demon, one of damnation. However, Mr. Begone is far from a scowling creature of cartoonish evil. He is in fact human. Well, not just human. And here I find myself quoting Rob Zombie again while thinking of love. 
Mr. Begone is more human than human. This demon rises above the pained qualities of the condition of all sentient beings through love. Mr. Begone rediscovers themselves through love. The demon uncovers deeper truths about reality through love and love alone. The most frightening aspect of this novella is not the litany of gruesome crimes that the demon Mr. Begone and his demoniacal ilk perpetrate. It's that love can and will drive us into the unknown. Love is and always has been the only force that can move the world. Love is horrifying because it creates the potential for the worst imaginable thing, that love can be forgotten. Love is the most unsettling not when it's lost, but when the memory of that loss finally leaves us. We live in a time of forgotten love. We share a moment defined by that level of sorrow and loss. The AIDS crisis was the willful slaughter of gay love, history, and memories. Hegemonic culture further blots out and rewrites the memory of queer love. Even deeper still, that targeted erasure is situated in a cultural or culture of alienation and objectification. That is the sworn adversary of love. We, like Mr. Begone, are forced to live and love in darkness in hope that we can share a firelight with a kindred soul. I leave you with a quote from Clive Barker's Mr. Begone. It's all gone now, gone forever. You killed every particle of joy that was in me, every scrap of hope and forgiveness, gone, all gone. Yet, here I am. Somewhere finding in me, the devil alone knows how, to reach out from these anguished pages in one last desperate attempt to try and touch your heart. Holy fucking shit. Yeah, that's, uh... Uh, just, just two things. Two things, re- really quickly. Two nice. things. Um, one, uh, that that was actually genuinely beautiful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and two, how dare you? <laughs> how 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 dare you? How do you have the gall to just casually knock that off? In an in forty five minutes, whilst also contributing to a podcast conversation, <laughs> how how like where do you where do you get off? Yeah, that's the that's the question. That's the uh, um, how dare you? Where do you get off? And who do you think you are? That's the third one. That's the yes. I mean, I, I, ideally, I get off in the giant demon sword zone, but that's that's true. We have actually already clarified that through you clarified that while writing that um throughout the recording of the podcast <laughs> yes i i, um, I now cannot so by my editing powers change the order that this happened this will be at the end <laughs> there's like i'm honored it's really i think it's i think it's very special to think about it in terms of the sort of the persistence of difference in its pursuit of again to use barker's words cosmic commonality that you find that we find so the 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 sort of drive for universality in at least some sense of some human sense within like and it's like engaging with horror this is what horror has always served for me i talked about it on a a friend of mine's podcast that I appeared on a while ago. 
and talked about just like pod is a podcast about just things you like and you pick something you go on and talk about it and i talked about horror as this like sort of sense of like grounding in otherness that you experience in like the closet in this way that you can kind of like grapple with align yourself with embody reconfigure sort of your own humanity and empower yourself through difference and monstrosity and you know you know marginality and that kind of a thing and i think that's i think that ex- always exists i think i think that's one thing the subversion the principle of subversion and horror and queerness is super important and as a continuity for a lot of other people, and I've mm-hmm. talked about it with plenty. But I think what's most important about what Barker does, and I think what people should seek to do in terms of like a, a queer gothic Marxism, even if you will, or a materialism of some kind, um, be it Marxist in its sort of like political worldview, is to seek some kind of like broader universality, at least in sort of like your posturing. You're to, to position yourself in the direction of some sort of universalization that exists by virtue of the sort of marginality, the principle of marginality itself. The existence of the, a margin thereby uh, in, imposes and enforces an ideal that eliminates marginalization, right? Not to like, it's pretty Hegelian. But at the same time, there's I'm I am truly of the sort of ilk that like this the psychoanalytic thinking that is definite that is really in conversation with a lot of what Barker has done has a Hegelian sense mm. that can be wrought out of it if we're willing to pursue big sort of like Ideal, I idealized versions of the humanities in some way, shape, or form, or the or of humanity in and of itself has this 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 potential that exists within our lack to our lack of. I am not myself universal, ergo. What exists in universality is my lack of universality myself. You know the yeah. sort of mm-hmm. communist ontology. That I've been workshopping <laughs> <laughs> for about a year now. But yeah, you get the idea. And that's that's like a deeply ethical project as well, right? What is yeah. it? What is it that Mister Begon says? Like the only, the only resistance to to the divine is silence, right? When when right. Sp- when speech kind of collapses, when language no longer functions, you you truly are in hell. Um, and it's so striking that he only kind of discovers articulation of language for the second time when he becomes mm. like when he gets out of hell. Um, and I think that ties exactly back into what you're saying, right? This idea of like how solidarity is not in spite of the multiplicity of differences, but precisely because of them. Mm. Um, and that's something that at its very at its very best in a very kind of fragile and contingent and constantly renegotiated way uh language allows us to kind of pursue you know it's like 
another thing that's really good about Barker is that he understands religion. Um, yes. Like, and and is clearly very influenced by the Bible, because it, yes, it's super Hegelian, and it's it's Hegelian as counterposed to the the sort of Spinozist silence of hell. The twelfth circle of Dante's Inferno is um is frozen. It's it's ice. It's no movement. There is no communication. Nobody can talk. Every, sorry, the ninth circle is is um is is completely frozen, solid, because the traitor is now deformed into complete silence. Whereas, you know, as as Mister Begon puts it, in the beginning, uh, was the was the word. There was <laughs> there was there there is this there is this fragile kind of ontological constitution of language right that that can be exclusionary that can be but language can be so polyphonous and so multivocal and so like always rewritten um that that's how you can approach that universality that that as you put it that communist ontology that's right and this this is i think it's really important to and and it's what at the very least, as you're referencing the Gospel of John, allows for sort of in our in our sort of like literary imagination when in our our, our literary political imagination, if you will, let's let's go wherever this is uh, <laughs> for a moment. There's this. Um, there's all. There is always within this sort of like. At, at like at, at any point in its most sort of simple or complex series of representations, symbolic representations, there's always these series of symbolic representations that uh, in, in in a narrative as a series of signs is a form that is persistent throughout various types of narrative form, particularly in John, because John starts out as declaring that it in like text the primacy of text in there there is going to be a primacy of this part the particularities of this text and the continuities exist within these re these representations and the the character that is embodied in these various signs and representations throughout the text in the deeds and the miracles and the lives of D Jesus of Nazareth how do i end up every it's because every podcast i end up coming on talking about horror i end up talking about the bible every time it's john every time this is this is why you know what john this is why you know uh but basically the idea there there is this sort of like yeah as john was saying a very sort of deeply like ethical project within the the recognition and constructing construction of a series of significations and symbolizations that point toward I, I, I the the sort of a recognition of the disillusion of the self and the recognition of another so the dis the, in general the the knowledge of the disillusion of the self in the recognition of another mm. and it can it's a very sort of like unifying idea that exists throughout literature but that is particularly manifest in the gospel narratives which were this a, a series of texts that seek to create a new demarcation, a new way that to announce a new way of the permission for a new way of being free or thinking free at the very least.
Um, I don't know where we, you know, I said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see myself now in editing, reprocessing everything that we've been talking about. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't top, uh, neither, uh, Neither Ash's PC or uh, Kyle's communist ontology project. Uh, I just can't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> other than, well, just this. Uh, read this book or burn it. We lost John. Oh, no. Salute. 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 Salute to yes. John. Yeah. A fallen comrade. Oh. And he's back. And he's back. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, what did I miss? We we were saluting your absence. You you had fallen yeah. in in the line of podcasting. Uh, I I was just going to sort of like compose myself after listening to your pricey. Wait, how dare how dare you? How dare you write something like that when you're when you're clearly not even when you're not even well like. <laughs> yeah, you told us about that too. How how dare you be that talented? It's almost like you've written over a hundred of those. Did, yeah, did I just do like anime adversary thing where I'm like wearing weighted clothing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your Goku, your Goku training in the weighted environment, the gravity, <laughs> the gravity machine. Or this whatever. isn't even my final form. But no, we can wrap up. I should probably go get some milk for dinner because we don't have any. Oh, yeah, sounds nice. Sounds legit. Uh, I'll, I'll try and send us off because uh, how dare you, Ash? How dare you? Well, none, none of this would have happened if you hadn't conjured us all to this point. So yep. really, yeah, thank yeah, yeah. you. Thank you, Frank, for doing this. Oh, yeah. We, uh, it was a blast. I mean, this, the, again, this, this is podcasting. This is bringing my amazing friends to, to be amazing together and to, to learn a lot with them and to share that with people. And people apparently like it. Even if I, I mean, I've told you all before, uh, and I've told people about this, that even uh, needing to to dial it down a bit and doing like one longer episode a month, um, so I can do my masters, it also it still means creating content that people like and support, and you know, spending this time together here. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be released close to Halloween, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, happy Halloween! <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, everyone. Happy Halloween. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, read Clive Barker. Read Mister Be Gone or burn it. Burn the podcast. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. I, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm stunned. I'm still stunned. <laughs> I'm still fucking stunned. <laughs> Good job, team. So, yeah, thank you for making it incapable for me to send us off. But that's fine. Before anything else, uh, where and how can people support all of your various works? Uh, because you all do amazing work, beyond amazing work, and the people should listen, follow, read, and watch. I think those are all the engagement forms, unless I'm missing one of them. This is coming out... Uh... Close to Halloween, right? Yes. Well, 
You can find us at www.horrorvanguard.com or wherever good podcasts are sold. My name's Ashley Darrow. You can find me on Twitter at Darrowvania. How about you, John? Kyle? Uh, yeah, I, I, am, I am lucky enough to be one of the uh, co-hosts of the spookiest podcast on the left. Uh, that is Horror Vanguard, where we talk about horror movies and friendship and communism. So the big three, the big three that, that, <laughs> that should really occupy anybody's time and attention. Uh, horror movies, communism, and friendship. I am also uh, uh, on Twitter, at Guy on YouTube there as well. And I post a whole bunch of writing over to, to Patreon. Uh, I am midway through writing what will eventually be a short book on... Uh, the philosophy of hope and post rock, um, which you can read over there, and you can watch video essays that I make on the YouTube, which often, which often feature music by a certain Labor Kyle. Yeah, uh, I do that. I was working on music before we came on here, as a matter of fact. But yeah, you can, uh, if you want to hear my <laughs> to hear my music or. I'm uh, you can, I'm Labor Kyle on everything, mostly YouTube, where I make video essays about things. But you can follow me on Twitter where I tweet too much. I also have writings that I post there. Uh, and yeah, you can uh, go go listen to Horror Vanguard. Just do it. You can l- listen to the episode on Nightbreed that will work very nicely with this one. Listen to the one about I know who killed me the the Lindsay Lohan torture porn David Lynch ripoff movie. <laughs> Just listen to Horror Vanguard. I I am uh uh I am always haunting the background of the podcast, which is a joke I make, just because Ash and John and I are very good friends and talk frequently, but is actually true because there's a lot of my music featured on that podcast, as well, um, which has been cool. So yeah, follow me. I don't know. I can't even plug. I can't. We I are doing so all this stuff good at pro- self promotion. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, clearly. Also, Agab Pod, which is video games. Oh, oh fuck. Yeah. God. yeah. All, I hear yeah, that that's I have the a, only game yeah, podcast. Sorry, on Kay. <laughs> I forget. I constantly forget to plug. I was on a different podcast this week. I forgot to plug Agab. Yeah, there's a whole other podcast called All Gamers Are Bastards where uh, my friend, fellow YouTubist, uh, Kay and Skittles and myself sit down and discuss a video game, a little bit of a little bit of book reading, a little bit of theory and politics, a little bit of news, a lot of jokes, um, and yeah, that you can find that where all your podcasts are sold at the podcast store. I'm assuming I was uh, and... I was talking to Kyle about Agab and described it as perhaps uh, the best. A podcast about video games and the boss baby that i've ever listened to <laughs> yeah i think we had a 20 minute conversation about the boss baby you really did yeah <laughs> which yes. i'm looking to which i'm looking to expand into a larger paper on the boss baby presented at the boss baby conference <laughs> well i'll keep everyone posted uh on 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 that i'll have a video on it eventually. i'm excited to promote gotta... uh the boss baby conference when the time comes <laughs> I have talked on about Boss Baby on like four different podcasts now. It's great. I, I've got to be really honest here. I, I've had it on my like uh, bingo card for today. I was like, at what point does Kyle bring up Boss Baby somehow? And here it has happened. <laughs> Make it fifth. Uh, 
But yeah, yeah, the thing about Mr. Begone I find really interesting is Boss Baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, the Boss Baby was this... one of the babies. There we go. There's yeah, our connection. Like, well, like, yeah, maybe if they exist in the same universe, I would imagine it exists in the same universe as the uh, <laughs> as the Boss Baby Netflix series, where there are an abundance of uh, sentient, ba- fully talking adult babies who work at a corporation. Um, yeah, it's the movie of our contemporary moment. Um, and haunting. I, I completely, I'm, it is depressing how much I mean that. I mean that (laughs) completely. Like it's, yeah, yeah. It's like, I felt a culture. I felt the winds change after that movie came out. It just like, when I watched it, it just, I'm, I'm like this, this is indicative of something that like, like something that's been happening. You know what I mean? It's historical. It's incredible. It's an unbel- it's it's like see, this is what happens. <laughs> I've been talking about we it. We got him again. We got him again. <laughs> I still haven't watched the sequel. I gotta watch the sequel. Congrats, Ash. <laughs> oh. Well, I feel good now. <laughs> <laughs> and the bingo card is complete. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yes, uh you you all do incredible stuff things and stuff together separately and individually and together and ah do, let's do more stuff um that's it's all i want to say i want to do more stuff with everyone <laughs> that's the point hell yeah that's, right. that's the point so yeah um i am frank gothic on a lot of things and i am at left page bard and i read fiction i'm trying to i'm doing my masters and i'm doing a bunch of stuff uh, Patreon content is up to date, I hope, by the time this comes out. But I'm talking about both writing and uh, research, write my master's sci-fi a lot of the time because of hyperfocus and research. So, you know, a lot of that, a lot of other stuff. Support support everyone if you can. Support me if you can. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, how dare you, Ash? How dare you? Um, thank you, thank you for being here, everyone. Thank you for listening. Um, this uh, this is gonna go down as one of the best episodes, as I expected. Uh, how couldn't it? Uh, how dare you, Ash? Mm-hmm.